0: Welcome you to our 11 o'clock service here at the, at the Windsor. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's interesting. I, I had somebody talk to me last week, and they said, are you, how long are you going to be in, in, in Matthew? And I said, well, quite a while. <laughs> quite a while. We've been in for three or four weeks now, and we are in Chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be talking about Herod again, The topic of my message is Herod the Great, and we'll be doing verses 3 through 8. We mentioned it last week, and I think one of the things that that it's important to understand with Matthew, especially why we're taking our time, is because there are certain uh, things in Matthew that Matthew tells us that are not in the other Gospels. And everything in the scripture is important. If it's only mentioned once, it's important. So we want to make sure that we we focus on it and understand exactly why the Lord is giving us this information. The context for our message today was given last week, and that was the magi that came to Bethlehem. So I'll read it to you. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So that was last week we talked about it. And if you remember, we said we had an idea of the pedigree, Uh, not necessarily the identities of the three wise men or how many there were, but we know their pedigree because Matthew uses the Greek word magi. And the Magi were uniquely these, these priests, these prophets, these, these soothsayers, these astrologers from the area of Persia, ancient Babylon. And we, we told the story of how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, I love saying those three words, by the way. Shad, don't you? Shadrach, go ahead, say it with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love those names. We had a hamster, a, a rabbit, and a, a oh, no. named Shadrach, Meshach. No, no Abednego, right, Carol? No, Noah Bendigo. But but I love those names. And Daniel was the uh, was the one that was able to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And because he did that, the, the scriptures said that he he sat at the gate of the king. That's in Daniel chapter 2. And what that means is that he was in charge. He was basically in charge of most of the realm of Babylon. He was number two to Nebuchadnezzar. And in fact, he was also given the title head of the Magi. Head of the Magi. So we talked about this last week that even though we don't know much about them we know that these these Magi came most likely from the Parthian kingdom, ancient Babylon, present-day Baghdad, that area which is directly east of Jerusalem. And that's where they they came from. So we're going to take a look at Herod today. We talked a little bit about the Magi. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Herod today. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Again, the message for my title today is Herod the Great. Verse 3 says this. It says, when Herod the king heard this, He was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. You know, kings like Herod are always troubled. Uh, they're always troubled because they're always afraid that somebody's going to come and take their crown. And the way they do that is they typically are assassinated. They're killed. Uh, family members, uh, cousins, neighbors, uh, rival factions, they don't have elections where people are voted on. Uh, people are, are killed. This is, this is not unusual with kings. You know, back in the first chapter of Exodus, we, we read the story of Joseph and how he traveled to, to, uh, to Egypt. He was put as a slave and then he brings his family in and all of Israel is in Egypt at the time and there's a pharaoh in Egypt and for a while they were friends but then this is what it says in, the, um, in verse eight of chapter one of the book of Exodus. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. It, it's amazing how short memories are, right? He did not know Joseph and he said to his people, look, the people of children, and the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they join our enemies and fight against us, and so go out of the land. And you remember the story. You know, Pharaoh made these Israelites slaves. He made them slaves. In fact, they continued to multiply. They continued, God continued to bless them. There were millions of people of Israel in the land of Egypt. And they continued to prosper even though they were slaves. So he decided that he was troubled. There's that word again. He was troubled. And because he was troubled, he decided that all of the male children, all of the male babies of the people of Israel would be killed. They would either be left to die. They would be stoned. They'd be thrown in the river. And we, hear, we read the story of Moses. And Moses' mother put him in a reed basket and put it in the Nile River. And behold, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, came and saw this Hebrew baby, took her as, his, as her own, and that's where Moses comes from. This is where Moses comes from. So, so we have these, these stories, but the issue is, is, that, is that there were tens of thousands of Hebrew babies that were probably killed. We don't have the details of it, but there were there were millions of Hebrews and this was the law of the land... And there was a real fear that Moses would die. That means that tens of thousands of baby boys were, were killed. In 2 Kings, we have the story of Jehu, the 10th king of Israel. Now, all of the kings of Israel were, were evil. Now, we kind of like Jehu because he gets rid of Ahab and Jezebel. Remember I said Jezebel was so wicked that no woman names their daughter Jezebel anymore, right? She was a wicked woman. So Jehu comes to the throne. He kills Ahab and Jezebel, which was prophesied. And we're happy about that. But then he goes on, and he goes and kills all of Ahab's children. Seventy sons of Ahab were all killed by Jehu. He's an evil, evil man. The Bible goes on and says that there were kin meaning relatives, a king, Ahaziah of Judah. Uh, Judah was the southern kingdom. Um, um, uh, Jehu was in the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were traveling through the land, and he spotted them, and he killed all of the male heirs to the throne. So these are evil people. The Bible also uh, talks about uh, uh, different stories. But, you know, here's the thing. For every story in the Bible that's despicable, because the Bible tells the truth, there's a hundred There's a hundred of them in antiquity. A hundred stories that I could give you about evil kings from Persia to Africa, even in here in North America. Uh, Notables, popes, monarchs, uh, Ivan the Terrible. Why was he called the Terrible? Well, because he killed his children. Genghis Khan, Suleiman the Magnificent, who was not a very good father, so we really shouldn't attach that word magnificent to him. And it wasn't just the kings. It was the queens as well. There was a, a woman, Empress Irene, 7th um, uh, century, first female empire of, of Rome, the Byzantine Empire, um, had her son Constantine VI killed uh, when he came of age because, again, he would supplant her on the throne. So she was troubled. She was troubled. And this is the word that Herod, Herod that we use about Herod. Herod and all of Jerusalem was troubled. But the question is why was Herod then called the great? Well, it's not, a story, it's not a line that we have in the Bible. The Bible doesn't call him great, but history records him great. So to understand why he's great, you've got to go with me to about 150 years before that. And I'll take you through the history relatively quickly. It, it, we land on a man named Judas Maccabees. You probably know the name Judas Maccabees. Judas Maccabees um, was was a Jew. This was during the time that the Syrians, the Greeks, the Seleucids, which had followed... Um, uh, uh, and Alexander the Great were in charge of Judah and in charge of Jerusalem. And there was a very evil Seleucid king uh, now named Antichius Epiphanes, who, who Daniel actually prophesied about. He came and desecrated the temple, and he, just, and he killed all of the priests. And that was enough for Judas Maccabees to, to rally the people of Judah together, and they overthrew the Greeks. It was amazing. They overthrew the Greeks and threw them out of the land. And and Judas Maccabees and his family took that name Maccabees as well. Maccabees actually means a hammer. That's what it means. So so Judas Maccabees could be a pro wrestler, right? Because he had the right name. It was Judas the Hammer, right? So that was his name. But the family name was actually Hasmonean. Hasmonean, which is important because there was a Hasmonean empire that lasted for about a hundred years. And these were all of the descendants of Judas Maccabees. And they controlled the land of Judah for about a hundred years until the Romans came in. And this is is important. So so the Hasmonean kingdom lasted from 140 B.C. to about 37 B.C. And it included uh, Samaria, Galilee, Syria, Perea, and Idumea. They ultimately ruled all from Tyre, which is up in Lebanon, down to Peresheba. And the reason we're going to focus in on it is because they also controlled the land of Idumea. Idumea uh, was called Edom in the Bible. This is, these are the descendants of Esau. Remember the story of Jacob? Jacob had, uh, J- Jacob had a brother named Esau, and um, uh, God loved Jacob, but, but Esau became Edom, and they were always at odds with the people of Israel, and Solomon was able to uh, conquer that land. This is the land just south of Judea, but for much of history, they were, they were independent. Well, Herod the Great, his father, was, an, was a Hasmonean prince. He was a Hasmonian prince. He had converted to uh, to, uh, to to uh, uh, to 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 be in Israel uh, to become a Jewish, and his grandfather was Idumean. Um, however, um, Herod the Great's mother was actually an Arab princess. So not only was Idumean, but his mother was also not even Jewish. So he was half Jewish. So his father his father uh, becomes governor of Idumea, which becomes the governor of, of of Israel. And there's a civil war. The, Kings are always troubled because somebody's trying to usurp their authority. And what happened was these Hasmoneans, even though they had ruled for 100 years, had a civil war because deciding on who was going to be priest, who was going to be the high priest and who was going to be king. So they had a civil war. So Herod takes off, goes to Egypt. I find that interesting that he flees to Egypt. And from Egypt, he goes to Rome. And he makes friends with none other than Mark Anthony of history. So Herod makes friends with Mark Anthony, and Mark Anthony is convinced that he's the rightful king of Judah. So he sends him back to Judah, but he doesn't have an army. So Mark Anthony has to loan him an army of 30,000 infantry and 6,000 cavalry. And over a period of six years, he finally defeats all the Hasmoneans and becomes the rightful ruler of Judah. And this brings us to the time that that Jesus is born. so he finally, he finally conquers all of this land of Judah. Now the land of Judah at the time, they were helped by an outside group of people called the Parthians. Isn't that something? The same people from where the Magi came from are helping the Hasmoneans in their war against Rome. So why was, he, why was he great? Well, history records that in trying to win the favor of the Jews, Herod built aqueducts and theaters and many public buildings. He also built the temple in Jerusalem, the fortress called Masada, Caesarea, the Herodian. So why was all of Jerusalem and Herod troubled? Why were they troubled when the Magi shows up? Well, there's two possibilities, and both of them are likely true. First of all, the people of Israel knew that Herod was a madman. And if Herod was troubled, we're troubled, right? It's kind of like if mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? And that's exactly what happened with Herod. If the king isn't happy, you've got to be really careful because he's going to go nuts. I mean, who knows what Herod's going to do? Secondly, most likely, the escort that came with these magi included a lot of the Parthian troops. Now... For for six years, they had battled the, the Parthians in Jerusalem, and they had battled the Parthians in a number of different places. In fact, Mark Anthony had a few battles with the Parthians. But from 37 BC until the time of Christ, there was peace between the Parthians and the Romans. They were neighbors. They weren't allies. They weren't enemies. They were just neighbors. And Roman officials like Herod the Great and Pontius Pilate, knew that they risked their throne and their head if they tangled with the Parthians because Rome didn't want to be called into a war with the Parthians. So this is exactly why they were were troubled. So let's continue in verse four. It says, and when he, this is is, uh, Herod, had gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know, we talked again about this briefly last week. These, These scribes and the chief priests are able to quote Micah, And know that it's in Bethlehem that the Messiah is to be born. But Herod, the scribes, the Pharisees, and all of the religious people, they stay in Jerusalem. The Magi go on to find the Messiah. You know, they knew the scripture, but they they failed to apply it to their own life. And that's true for today. So many people know the scriptures. They understand what the Bible has to say. They know who Jesus Christ is, but they fail to apply it to their, their life. There was an atheist that once said, if Christianity was truly true, the lives of the Christians would change. The lives of the Christians would be completely different if they really believed that Christianity was to be true because most, most Christians fail to apply the truths of Christianity to their own lives. So again, they quoted, they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, quoting Micah 5.2. By the way, Bethlehem, uh, do you know why Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Well, it goes all the way back to a woman named Naomi. You read about her in the book of Ruth. Naomi and her husband and her two sons traveled from Bethlehem because of a famine, but there, her, over a period of years, her fa- the, the husband and the two sons are, are, are killed, they die. So Naomi is left with two daughters-in-laws and he says, she says, it's time for you to go back to your, to your families and I'll just go back home. And Ruth comes to her and she says, no, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. We know the story of Ruth. Ruth travels back with Naomi all the way back to where? To Bethlehem. And Naomi ends, uh, Ruth ends up meeting a man named Boaz and she gives birth to a son who is the grandfather of King David. So she's the great-grandmother of King David, and that's exactly why Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, this small little town, probably no more than 500 to 1,000 people living in Bethlehem at the time, a very, very small town, but very significant because Jesus was going to be a, a son of David. Now, who else knew that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees and Herod knew it, but also the angels. Remember the angels? The angels told the shepherds, The angels told the shepherds that said, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all the people for there is born to you this day in the city of David. That's Bethlehem, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And you'll find this, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It's interesting, isn't it? The magi who who are pagan traveled to Bethlehem to see the Messiah. These shepherds who are just lowly shepherds, They travel to see the child, but Herod stays behind. The Pharisees stay behind. You know, Herod, true to his character, tries to use duplicity. He lies. He tries to find out where Jesus is actually going to be. Then Herod, it says, When he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. You know, the the scripture says, find out when the time, he finds out when the star appeared. Why did he do that? Well, the star could have appeared, just guessing, when Jesus was first conceived, right? When, When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you will you will, be, you will conceive and give birth to a son. So they could have appeared at that time or any, when, maybe when Jesus was born. And remember, the wise men also traveled four or five months to try to get there. And we know that there's, this is going to be important next week because we're going to talk about Herod as he kills the young children of Bethlehem, the young boys of Bethlehem. And he uses a two-year window from zero to two years old because he's not sure exactly where, where Jesus would be in there. Notice the lie, though, this duplicity of Herod. You know, it's not new. Uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And, and, and what we know is that our governments, our kings, our presidents, our prime ministers, unfortunately, they often lie to us. They lie to us. Herod says, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. You know, the irony is so strong, it actually drips from the pages of the scriptures. Herod claims the desire to worship when really we know that he really wanted to kill him. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to kill him. You know, this long reign of Herod the Great ended shortly after Jesus was born. You know, the Jews rejoiced at his death. They hated him profoundly for his Idumean history. He was only half a Jew. His pagan taste, his tyrannical rule. Um, But the Bible says actually that there's three people named Herod in the Bible. And sometimes as you're reading through the Bible, you'll get confused which Which Herod is, which Herod? Well, this is Herod the Great, and he dies shortly after Jesus is born. He has a son called Herod Antipas. Uh, He's also referred to as Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch is a title, like a king. It means one-fourth. So Herod and his brother, Herod the Tetrarch, um, and his brother, Philip, were both tetrarchs, meaning they, they covered a fourth of the territory. Herod's old kingdom was split into four different pieces. Later, there was another Herod, Herod Agrippa, and we see that in chapter 12. Herod the Tetrarch is the one that killed John the Baptist during the life of Jesus. He kills John the Baptist um, off with his head, right? Does, uh, Solomon does a, uh, Salome does a little dance and, and off, off with his head. Herod Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, he was the one that persecuted the church. He's the one that had the apostle James, the son of John, I mean the brother of John, killed with a sword. So those are the three different Herods. Let's go back to the very last words of our scripture verse today. Herod says, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. This word worship is I want to land on just for a minute. Um, Jesus speaks of worship. Jesus actually gives us a definition of worship. It's actually in a conversation that Jesus had with a woman at the well. Do you remember the story? Jesus goes into Samaria. He has this conversation with the woman at the well. Let me read you the story. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and a piece of it is in your bulletin as well. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place when one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Isn't this amazing? Here's a Samaritan woman, okay? A woman of of poor reputation as well. And she is willing to understand that the Messiah is coming. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. You know, we will speak again of King Herod next week. History records that Herod, he was Herod the Great. It was during his reign that this amazing temple in Jerusalem was built. Did you know that the temple that he built, the temple that he built was not only equal, but probably exceeded the temple that Solomon built. And the history says that Herod chose 10,000 of the most skillful workmen and, and brought a th- bought 1,000 priestly garments, for the Levites as well. Again, he's trying to win the favor of the Jews. He employed some of the very best stonecutters, masons, and carpenters in the region from Syria to Egypt. He, he, brought, he brought the very, very best and built this glorious temple. But the point is, is that he couldn't worship. He could build a temple, but he couldn't worship. He couldn't worship because he didn't understand what worship was, was all about. Um, worship is about humbling yourself. It's impossible to worship God if you can't humble yourself, acknowledging a God who is holy and who will also hold you accountable. This is why Jesus says true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. You know, worship is not about a building. Look where we're gathered today. It doesn't matter where you worship because worship is about you humbling yourself in front of a God. It's not about song either, as pretty as it was and as wonderful as to have Kim or Ashley or Susan or somebody sing with us and stuff like that. And we hear your voices as well. Singing can be a part of worship, but it's not worship. Worship is something we do internally. It's a, it's a, it's a part of our being. It's an act of humility because we acknowledge that God is the creator, the sustainer, and the provider. And because of that, we are, we are humbled We're humbled to be in his presence and to understand his plan includes us. You know, we don't need to go to the temple because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Paul says uh, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in which you have from God. It says we're not our own, that we've been bought with with a price. Jesus said we worship in spirit and in truth. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is found in the Word of God. And Jesus goes one step further because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ultimately, Herod didn't know how to worship because he didn't know Jesus. We that know Jesus have the opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth, make it a lifestyle. Make it a priority. Make it something that's a part of your or being. Remember that God loves you, that he has a plan for you. And it's through Jesus that all of your sins can be forgiven. And if your sins are get forgiven, then the Bible says that you are, are born again. You're his. You're a new creation, somebody that's uniquely designed for worship, for worship. Let's pray. So, Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.